How many of you guys are excited to really dive into the Word this morning? Right? I'm excited uh, to speak to you guys. I've been been praying all morning and getting ready uh, for this message because I feel like it's such an appropriate message. It's Thunder Sunday. How many Thunder fans we got in the house? Right? Okay. Uh, if you're not, that's all right. We'll do an altar call at the end and we'll solve that. But uh, just kidding. Just kidding. Don't get offended. It's all right. Uh, but seriously, it is Thunder Sunday. So we're going to talk a little bit of basketball uh, this morning. I know that really excites some of you guys, not so much the others. Uh, but I promise it'll be good and where we're going with that. And it's not all basketball this morning. But I do want to talk to you about something that I think is really important. How many of you realize that there is something inside each and every one of us that is just a hunger and desire to know God? Do you realize that? Do, do you know we've never discovered a new tribe or nation in the world that didn't worship something? We've never discovered an atheist tribe anywhere. There's never been a small island of atheists that we discovered. Every tribe, every nation, every person that's ever been, I guess discovered is a weird word when you're defining people who already live, but anyway, um, that just dawned on me. But we've never d learned of a new people group that were atheists. Do you know why? Ecclesiastes 3.11, I think, gives us a good clue. It says, God has put, made everything beautiful in its own time, and he has put eternity in the human heart. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of what God is doing from the beginning and the end. Because there is something that draws us to something bigger than us. Every single person anywhere on the planet, there is something that God designed you and put in you that makes you want more that makes you want to be a part of something bigger than you are, to make you want to actually contribute beyond just yourself. And it's that hunger, it's that desire that drives us to be better people, to really pursue that relationship with God. And it's what draws us in. It, my title this morning is Live Hungry. There's a hunger that every single one of us should have that drives us, that pushes us to get to know God better. How many of you have ever, you've had that, an experience, maybe it was an incredible service, maybe it was a great conversation with a friend, but you walked away and you thought, man, I really want to know more about who God is off of that moment. Anybody? We've had those moments and we walk away and we think, man, there's just, there's just something about that conversation that stirred me. There's something about that message that stirred me. It's because inside each and every one of us, there is something that's calling out and drawing out of us that we want to know God on a deeper level. Now, there's something really unique about that. And I talked to our students a little bit Wednesday about this here, but you know, when you go to camps and conferences as kids, I've always been impressed with the level of hunger that students have when they go to conference or a camp, right? And it's like, man, they just come back so excited. Why? Because they go expecting so much. Anybody ever been to a crusade or your favorite speaker is coming or maybe your favorite worship band is coming and you want to go see them and you have such an anticipation, such an expectation of what you're going to receive in that moment. And it's amazing. So often we come back and it's like, man, that was the best service I've ever experienced. Man, that speaker is so amazing. Every time he speaks, there's just so much revelation and so much truth. Have you ever stopped to wonder? Maybe. Just maybe the amount of revelation that we get when we listen to a speaker is less about the speaker and more about us. It may be very well be it's less about how much anticipation there is about the moment 
and how much desire there is to actually receive something in that moment. Because often we find ourselves in situations where, well, it's just what we do. I mean, let's be honest. We're in church. We can be honest, right? How many of you have ever had a Sunday morning where you got up, you got ready, you made your kids get in the car, and you got to church because we're going to have church this morning. Now you go inside and you behave because we're going to worship Jesus, right? Most parents in the room know exactly what I'm talking about, right? There's not a lot of hunger and anticipation. It's you're going to do this and we're going to behave and we're not going to look like we're all losing our minds, right? But in those moments where it's like, okay, I really want to get something. We're going to be early. We're going to make sure this is taken care of. There's a difference in anticipation and the way we carry ourselves. I want to challenge you with something. I know we give out note cards, and whether you're a note taker or not, I encourage every single one of you to be a note taker. Whether you do it on the note card or you have a journal, you need to have something that you are writing down, the revelation of God. Don't come into a service and say, God, I want you to speak to me and not be prepared to listen to what he wants to say. There is a level of hunger and desire that we have, and God answers that. Matthew 5, 6 says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Who is it that's filled with righteousness? Those who hunger and thirst. God fills you according to your level of desire. If you want more, he'll give you more. If you're satisfied with where you are, there might be a reason I just wish I was closer to God, but you haven't changed anything about your lifestyle or your desire to get closer to him. That might be a reason you find yourself in that same conversation on a regular basis. Because if we say, God, I want more of you, so I'm going to open myself up to more of you. I'm going to spend more time in your word. I'm going to spend more time listening to your voice. Guess what? This amazing thing happens. We get more revelation. We begin to understand his voice better. We begin to hear him more clearly. Why? Because we're practicing because we're involved in that relationship on a deeper level and we're pressing in and we're pushing forward. And it's our desire that determines our portion. See, a lot of us find ourselves in this cycle. And tell me if you agree with this. How many of you have found yourself in this place where it's like, God, I want to be close to you. I want to know you. You have a great week and you spend time in the word. You spend time praying and things get good. And then Things start getting real good, right? Like work starts going good, family starts going good, and all of a sudden you find yourself so busy, we don't really have the time we had to pray. I don't really, you know, I mean, we've just got so many things going. I just, I can't read my Bible today, right? And we find ourselves in this cycle where all of a sudden it's like, well, God, everything in my life is falling apart. I'm going to pray until something happens, right? Because everything's falling apart. But then we pray, and God brings us back to this place of wholeness where he's moved and he's helped us. And it's like, okay, well, God, I really don't have time for you. And it's this cycle. When things are bad, we pray hard. When things are good, not so much. Anybody else? I mean, let's be honest for a minute. Anybody else ever find yourself in that cycle? I want to challenge you with a thought. It's Thunder Sunday. I'm going to talk a little basketball with you this morning. But I had a coach when I, was in, when I played basketball who he would always tell me the same thing. He would tell me, you will only play to the level you practice. So when we practiced, we had to run as hard as we could run. Why? So that when we were in a game, we knew how to push ourselves as far as we could go. Does that make sense? I want to challenge you this morning. You will only live to the level that you pray. If you aren't praying, 
on a consistent basis and you're in the Word and you're pressing into and pursuing the heart of God, you will find yourself limited. Not because God's limited you, because you've limited yourself. Because you haven't opened up yourself to say, God, what is it that you want from me? What is it that you want to do in me? Where do you want to take me? What do you want to do in me? See, the cycle that we need to get in is praying harder when it's easy so we can fight longer when it's hard. That's your first blank if you're taking notes today. But we need to find ourselves in the cycle where we pray harder when it's easy so we can fight longer when it's hard. Because here's the thing. Often we find ourselves in situations where life is bad or something goes wrong at work and we become so frustrated and we begin to ask the question, God, where are you in my situation? And the truth is he's right there with you. The problem is your focus has shifted off of him to your situation. And now your situation is what's dominating your perspective. You follow me. And the more ingrained we can get, the more connected to God that we can get when things are good, the harder we can press when things are good, the more connected we are to his spirit when things go wrong. I mean, I just realized life is hard, right? I mean, let's be honest. Things happen that we can't explain. People die out of nowhere. Things happen, you walk into your job and you think things are great and all of a sudden you're laid off. Problems happen in work, right? You're sitting at the stoplight minding your own business and all of a sudden, wham! Life happens. And it's hard and it's frustrating at times because, well, I don't know how I'm going to sick, I don't know how I'm going to fix this problem. I don't know how I'm going to handle this situation. And the truth of it, often we find ourselves in these places where life is so hard because we haven't put our trust in the one that makes it easier. Hear me. That doesn't mean, please hear me this morning. I'm not saying that if you love Jesus, your life will never be hard. I'm just saying if you love Jesus, he will help you through every single situation that you face. Do you follow me? And we've got to realize that there is something that we go back to and rely on. And you don't have to carry the burdens that you carry alone. You don't have to carry the weight and hope that you can overcome it on your own because there's a God who believes in you, who cares about you, who invests in you. And he wants to help you through those situations. But we've got to be connected to him, listening to his voice and hearing what it is that he wants to do in our life. Thank you. Let's give Jesus a hand clap this morning. See, same coach. When I was playing basketball, we would run and run and run all practice long. And then we get to the very end. And you're, anybody here ever play sports? At the end of a practice, you are tired if you did it right. <laughs> right? We would get to the very end, and I remember our coach would say, all right, everybody line up on the baseline. That's the bottom of the court, by the way. Just helping some of y'all out. And then he would say, all right, we'd start at one end, and we'd have to walk up, and we'd have to shoot two free throws. And for every shot we missed, the entire team had to run full court suicide. At the end of practice, and it wasn't like everybody shot, and then we had to run 50. It was like you shot, you missed, everybody runs. Shoot, everybody runs. Shoot, every you follow me? And I remember about halfway through, you hated half your team, and the other half, you could barely stand up. But I remember we would be running and thinking we were going to die, and he would say the same phrase. 
And it sticks out to me all of the time. And he would always tell us, I'm not training you for the first half. I'm preparing you for the fourth quarter. I want you to hear me today. I'm not talking basketball anymore. I'm talking the Spirit of God. He's not trying to get you ready for the first half, for the things that are easy. He's trying to prepare you for the life that's going to be hard, the things that are going to come at you. Jesus didn't say, follow me, and life's going to be perfect. He said, follow me. People are going to hate you. They're going to persecute you all because of me. He's not trying to prepare you for what's easy. He's trying to prepare you for what's hard. And if we don't learn to worship him when it's easy, we won't be able to look to him when it's hard. Does that make sense this morning? He's preparing you for something greater. He's doing something so much greater. But here's the thing. Even though life is hard, loving others doesn't have to be. We make it so complicated because I'm so frustrated. This is so hard. And we get so consumed in the cycle that I've talked about. Anybody notice the center point of everything that I've talked about to this? Anybody tell me? Other than Jesus. Me. My life's so hard here. My life's so good here. And depending on where I land in my life, on how I'm going to worship, how I'm going to press in. Do you follow me? I is the key factor. Now hear me. Because I, if I is the key factor in your life, you will never live a complete life. God didn't call you to do it alone. God called us to do it as the church. But so often we find ourselves in this cycle where we're going through and we're moving through, and we get so focused on our own situation, our own life of things are hard here, things are good here, and depending on where my life falls at the moment, how much I can invest and give into the lives of other people. Guys, life gets hard. Loving others doesn't have to be. But it requires something requires us to stop looking at others for who they're not and seeing them for who they are. See, anybody in here ever felt like somebody looked at you and they put a label on you? They told you you weren't able to accomplish something. Maybe, you know what? Maybe your marriage is going to fail because everybody else's marriage fails. Maybe you're not going to be a good parent because you didn't have the role model that you were, were you hoping to grow up with. Maybe someone told you you're not going to be good at that job because you just aren't smart enough. You're not talented enough. You're not good enough to do what you want to do in life. Anybody relate to me? Here's the thing. How often do we do that when we look at other people? How often do we live in this moment where we look at other people and we say, well, if you were better at this, then maybe you could accomplish that. But stop judging people for who they're not. Start seeing them for who they are. I want to give you a couple interesting statistics here. Some of you guys may have heard these, but I'm going to go through this here pretty quick. But 1978, a 15-year-old Michael Jordan tried out for his high school basketball team. Guess what? He got cut. He didn't make it. You know why? He was too short and couldn't control the ball. Michael Jordan. What he told Newsweek magazine was that he was so devastated, he went home and he locked himself in his room and he cried because he wanted to play basketball so bad. And then he did something really interesting. He got a ball, he came out of his room, and he went and practiced. And he tried out again the next year. Guess what? Next year he made the team. He averaged 20 points a game, and he wound up leading that team 
to a record year of 19 and 4. He went on then to be, get in the NBA. We most all of us know who Michael Jordan is. Scored a total of 32,292 points during his career. Six NBA championships, five NBA MVP titles, and 14 All-Star game appearances. How many of you guys would say the coach that looked at him and said, you can't handle the ball good enough and you're not big enough to do what you want to do might have been a little bit wrong because he was looking at what he wasn't and missed what he was. Now, I wish I could stop there, but I want you to hear me because a lot of times we hear something like that. And it's like, yeah, that worked out great for him. Let, let me tell you about another guy. 2009 pre-draft scouting report said this about a particular individual. He's not a true point guard. He's out of control at times. He's stuck between a one and two. His shot, shot selection is questionable. He's average size, average wingspan, average athleticism with a frail frame. But guess what? Steph Curry went on to lead his team to the first championship since 1975. He's won, he won MVP in the 2014-15 season. Guess what? What people looked at, now some of y'all know, Steph, I said Steph Curry, don't hate me, okay? I'm, I'm about to bring it back, don't worry. It's Thunder Sunday, I'm, I'm gonna end it strong, don't worry, okay? Don't hate, everybody pull back in, all right? But how many of you realize the screening was wrong. The screening was wrong. In fact, 2008 draft report said this about another player. He had a hard time getting steady playing time. He needs to prove his ability, his ability to handle the ball under pressure. He's not explosive enough. Needs to improve, improve his body strength. Well, we all know Russell Westbrook. Now the leading point guard for the Thunder. Currently 39 triple-doubles, second most triple-doubles in the NBA history and counting. Six-time All-Star Game appearances, two-time All-Star Game MVP, and the 2015 NBA scoring champ. Hear me. Oh, no, no, I'm not sure about this guy. He's not explosive enough. Anybody watched him play? He can't handle the ball under pressure. I'm pretty sure. The second leading triple-double, for those of you guys who don't know what that means, that means like rebounds, assists, and scores. He's in the double digits for. When you're doing that, I'm pretty sure you can handle a ball under pressure. Right now, he's one of the top picks for MVP. Here's what I'm saying. This isn't all about, oh, look how great he is. What I'm saying is I don't care what label anybody ever put on you because they may have seen something that you weren't. But when Jesus looks at you, he knows who you are. And he doesn't care what people said you can't do because he's calling you out for what you can do. But the way that we are actually going to be able to impact the world is to look at people for who they are. That we see the gifts and the abilities and the talents that God put inside each and every one of them. Stop looking at the people around you and saying, well, you're not this and you're not that. And who cares what they're not? Who are they? What are they? See, the thing is, the church, I think often, if we really step back and we look at it, we measure ourselves so often to other people because, well, I'm not horrible, but if I'm better than you, then I'm okay. And that's not how it works. 
We can't measure our own success on whether or not other people are doing well. The only thing we can measure our own success in relationship with God is how truly passionate we are to live hungry for the things of God. 1 John 4, 18. There is no love in fear, but perfect love casts out fear. Let me, let me tell you, I guarantee you, when Michael Jordan tried out that next year, I bet you he was afraid, right? He'd already been cut. He didn't make it once, and he'd practice all summer hoping to make it again. I promise you, there was some fear. I promise you. Anyone who ever says, I want to accomplish something in life, there's some fear that you have to face. When you say, hey, I'm going to be a lawyer, there's some fear that you have to face to pass the test that you need to get. Do you follow me? When you say you want to be a teacher, there's a fear that you face of, well, what if I'm going to screw these kids up? What if, what if I'm not good enough to make it? What if I can't handle this? If you want to be a pastor, let me tell you, there's some fears you've got to accomplish. What if I screw these people up? What if, I'm, what if I get it wrong? What if they realize I'm not perfect because none of us are? When you want to mentor somebody, well, what do I have to offer them? There's some fear you're going to have to overcome because here's the thing. You can't offer somebody what you're not, but you can give them what God's already given you. You can give them who you are. You can give them what you are. You can give them the deposits that God's already put in your life. God's not looking at you to give somebody, invest into somebody's life something that you don't have. He's looking to you to do the most you can with what you've been given. And if we can stop looking at what people aren't and seeing them for who they are and start loving people for who they are, I promise you the landscape of our country will change. I promise you the landscape of our community will change because it's no longer what people aren't. We see them for who they are, and we love them for who they are because we love them for the gifts that God created them with, that God gave them. And we understand that even though all of us are different in a million different ways, there is one God that loves every single one of us the same. And it's never changing. It's never ending. <laughs> but we've got to let our faith be so loud it drowns out our doubt. Well, what if I let them in? What if I help them in? What if, what if? Guys, if you live on what if, you will never accomplish anything in your life. How many married people we have in here? Some of y'all excited about it. Some of you guys are like, all right, y'all need, we need to have a different service later. Pray for y'all. You need to be excited about that. But how many of you realize when you proposed, whichever person proposed, there was a little bit of fear. What if they say no? Right? When I proposed to my wife, I set it all up. I had it ready. I did it in such a romantic way. I was on the side of the street with a big sign. I know, right? Anyway, don't judge. I had it set up. I knew where she was going to go. I told her there's construction. I, told her, I, I had it all set up. She's like, okay, I'm leaving work. I'm like, I'm ready. I'm out here. I'm ready. We got everything all set. 45 minutes, I stood there. I'm like, where are you? I called her like 486 times. No answer. Finally, what do you want? Where are you? I decided to go to Old Navy. <laughs> Story of my life, right? But I should have known right then. I was marrying her and Old Navy. Anyway, I'm, that's a whole different. I'm sorry, baby. Um, 
I'm going to pay for that later. But, but here's the thing. I said, okay, and I just hung up, and I drove as fast as I could to Old Navy. I'm not even kidding you. And I got there, and I, it wasn't as romantic as I had planned. I didn't have all the stuff set up that I hoped to, but I knew one thing. I wanted to marry this woman, and if I didn't want to wait any longer to ask. So I got there, and I, I saw her pulling out. And so I just I jump out of my car, I get my sign. I know, it's so romantic, right? It was even more romantic when she saw it and goes, she's driving. She's driving. The car's whoop, like, no, whoa. We stopped. She gets out. She's so stunned. Her, we had some family there that was taking pictures and stuff, so we had it all documented. She gets out of the car, and she's so stunned. She puts the ring on. She says yes, and she looked at me and said the most amazing words. Did you know about this? <laughs> yeah, I did. <laughs> like, no, your mom called me and said, meet her at Old Navy, and I just walked here. I don't know what's going on. Yeah, I knew about it, right? But here's the thing. In the middle of all of that, my love for her outweighed any doubt of what might happen. Follow me. We look at ourselves and we see all the doubt, we see all the insignificance in our own life. And let, let me tell you really quick, when God looks at you, he doesn't see any doubt of if you can accomplish what he's called you to. His love for you overwhelms any doubt that there might be in you. Do you follow me? Because he looks at you and he sees what you're capable of. He knows what he created you for. And when he sees you, he sees somebody who is empowered, somebody who is loved, somebody who is capable. And we need to see who God sees us as. And we need to see other people the way God sees them, as capable, as valuable. Because every single person is valuable to God. Every single one of them. In fact, John 13, 35 says it this way. They will know you by your love one for another. How will people know that we are sons of God and daughters of God? By the way we love others. By that definition, how many of you think some of us may need to reevaluate the way we consider ourselves Christians? Because if we are supposed to be known for our love, we might need to love a little bit more. We might need to pull back from telling people what they can't do until they get things cleaned up and fixed and arranged and issues. And Now, as soon as you fix this, God can use you for anything. And the truth of it is, as soon as you let God use you for anything, he'll fix all the rest of the stuff. But we've got to get things in the right perspective, in the right alignment. And hear me this morning. If doing what God's called you to do doesn't scare you, you're probably not listening. I'm just telling you, if you look at your life and where you're going and there's nothing that scares you in front of you, you might not quite be listening. Let me give you an example. When God called Moses, the man, I mean, let's just be honest, the man was in hiding because he killed somebody. And he said, hey, I want you to go back to the place where you killed a man, and I want you to take an entire generation of people out of slavery. That's scary on a number of levels. Joshua, I want you to take these people to a promised land that I promised. I know it's filled with giants. I know there's kings and armies there, but I want you to go into that land, and I want you to take it away from all of them. That's terrifying, okay? Gideon. 
hey, I want you to take a handful of people and I want you to go conquer an army. No, 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 I know you got a few thousand people. Get rid of all of them. Take a couple hundred and go do it. Do you hear what I'm saying? This wasn't something easy. When he called the disciples, he said, leave everything you have and come follow me. That's not easy. Well, I mean, I know God's called me to do this, but I mean, like, this is my livelihood. Yeah, I know 12 guys that had that same conversation. <laughs> Think about it. Well, but this is where I'm comfortable. This is what I know. I know God's put this in my heart, but this is, this is safe. This is comfortable. It's not obedient. Where has God called you to go? What is it that God's called you to do? Because I'm telling you right now, when Peter was in the storm and he saw Jesus walking on water and he stepped out of the boat, there had to be something in his mind thinking, I've been on the water a long time and I've never walked on it before. But his desire and his hunger for God was greater than his fear of what might happen. Think about it. Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. This man spent his life killing Christians. What happened? God called him and said, okay, now go to the very people that you've been trying to kill and ask them for help. There's some fear there. Are they going to help me? Are they going to kill me? What's going to go on? Right? So many times we get in this, well, what if I'm not, you know, I mean, what if I really can't do what God's called me to do? What if I, what, what do you really want me to do? What I want you to do is hear the voice of God and be obedient. It's that simple. Where is it that God's calling you to go? Who is it God's calling you to help? What investment can you make into the lives of other people? Why? Because if all we're doing is focusing on us, we're going to find ourselves in the same cycle of life for the rest of your life, where it's hopefully things are good until they go bad. But if we get outside of ourselves, you know what? There's just something about being in a bad situation and helping someone else that makes your situation not feel quite so bad. Anybody ever realize that? God created this really cool thing, and it's when you get outside of yourself and you help other people, it actually helps you. But we get so consumed, I've got to fix my stuff before I can help anybody else, that we never actually walk in that place of the promise that God wants in our life because we're so consumed with our own stuff, we never get outside of it to really experience the relationship the way God intended and designed it. But we've got to stop making excuses. We've got to stop sitting back and saying, hey, I mean, God, I would love to do this, but I'm not good enough, I'm not smart enough, I'm not capable enough. I mean, here's a great example. God, I, I know you've called us to build a bigger building. I know you've called us to reach more people in the community. But how are we going to do that? Maybe by finishing a high school so that we can add more students, that we can then invest in more people. Do you follow me? Maybe in finishing a kid's area so that our kid's area can expand and we can invest in the lives of more up-and-coming leaders and invest in more people and more families because we believe in those families. We want to see the best that God has for their life. Well, but how are we going to do that? All you guys ever want is just my money. No, I don't want your money. I want your heart. You follow me? Because here's the thing. If we all understand the heart that God's called us to as a church, 
then we understand that as long as I'm playing my part, I'm reaching into the lives and changing the lives of people on a level that I couldn't even dream of. Do you realize that? There's so many things that we try to simplify. And one of the biggest problems in our culture is we try to take a problem that we don't want to deal with, so we oversimplify it so we can throw it away. Right? We've got to stop over, oversimplifying and just realize that sometimes we just need to be obedient to the place that God's calling us to go. We just need to do what it is that God's asking us to do. Luke 9, verse 56. I'm sorry, verse 59 through 60. It's a intriguing verse to me. Because see, there were 12 that Jesus said, hey, drop everything you're doing and come follow me. And what did they do? They dropped everything they were doing and they came and followed him. There's another guy. Luke 9, 59 through 60. So he said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. And you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now, that verse is a little intimidating because you look at that verse and like, what, God doesn't believe in family? No, Jesus didn't want him to, like, help his family? No, that's not what he's addressing here. What he's addressing here is the but first attitude. Do you follow me? How many times has God asked you to do something? But first, God, let me go take care of this situation over here. God, uh, anybody ever sat in church and you notice somebody across the way and you think, man, I probably should go talk to them, Right? Well, but first, let me go refill my coffee. Oh, well, I guess they left. Sorry, God, I tried. Let's be honest. Anybody ever do that? Or God told you, hey, go talk to that person in the grocery store. Oh, God, I don't know where they went. And then they're on, like, the next eight aisles that you go on, right? And it's like, well, God, if you just make the opportunity, right? Or maybe God's like, hey, pay for their groceries. Oh, they've, they've already got their money out. There's all of these but firsts, there's all of these reasons and excuses that we can come up with not to show the love of God to other people. That's what he's addressing here. It's not that God doesn't, that he doesn't care about families. What he's addressing is this, follow me and do what I've asked you to do, but first I've got to go do what I need to do. Stop trying to do what you need to do first and start doing what God's called you to do because when we do that, we begin to change a generation. It's not about the what ifs, and the, but, but God, if you would just understand my situation, because, I mean, that's a legitimate situation, right? God knows your situation. He knows your problem. He knows your faults. And if he didn't think you could do it, he would have never called you. You follow me. He would have never spoke it to you. But he knows what you're capable of. But so often it's like, but, but God, what about what other people are going to think of me? I mean, let's be honest for a minute. We all wrestle with that. But what are people going to think of me? How are they going to react to me? Other people's opinion of you doesn't define God's ability to work through you. That's your last point. Other people's opinion of you does not define God's ability to work through you. I don't care what other people see that you're not. God sees who you are. It's the same concept. It's the same idea. And so often we make excuses on why we can't based on what other people have told us instead of the one who created us. He knows what you're capable of. Matthew 11, 28 through 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, for I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. 
For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will rest, and I will bring rest for the weary soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is a light. How many of you guys have ever heard that verse before? And it's like, excuse me. You've heard that verse before, and that verse, I remember hearing this a lot in the context of, if you just follow Jesus, he'll make everything easy for you. That's not what that verse is saying at all. In fact, I want to give you a little bit of insight on this verse that I thought was so amazing because this verse is actually a huge slap in the face to the Pharisees and the priests of that time because a lot of times when they would go and they would get a group of students that they were going to train and teach, they would take what was known as their yoke, and it was their training, their teaching. And so Jesus saying, come follow me because my yoke is easy and my burden is light, was saying, follow me because I'm going to give you something that's obtainable. These guys are trying to tell you to follow all these rules and regulations that you're never going to achieve. But if you follow me, I'll give you something possible. You follow me. How many of you realize we've read the Bible and there are a lot of things in there. How many of you realize when you look at your own life, there's a lot of things you've done wrong? Right? Because it's impossible to live and have never broken a rule. But it's not impossible to live understanding the grace and the redeeming nature of God that even though you've broken any or every one of those laws, he can still use you because he cares for you and he brings you to something beyond that point. Do you follow me? He takes us to a place where we say, God, I've just failed so many times. And, he's <laughs> and he says, I don't care what other people have said. I don't care what labels have been put on you because you failed, because you've done something wrong here. I'm telling you who I've called you to be. I'm telling you who I created you to be. You follow me. He's addressing so many things in this portion of Scripture. Anybody ever feel like you've just tried and you've tried and you've tried, but God, I just keep failing. Anybody ever find yourself there? Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Stop trying to do it in your own strength. Stop trying to carry all the things you were never intended to carry. Because Jesus took him on the cross. You follow me. Stop trying to carry, do all these things on your own. Come to me and I will take them. I will take everything that you've done wrong, every mistake that you've made, and I'll give you a new life. And I'll call you to your purpose. And I'll call you to the place that I've created you to be. Do you follow me? For my burden is easy and my yoke is light. Simple. Love God, love others. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying the, uh, the Big Ten aren't important. They are. Don't go out and killing somebody saying they said it was okay in church. Okay, that's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is the Big Ten are covered if we can learn to love God and love others. Because if I love others the way God loves me, I'm not killing anybody. Right? If I love others the way God loves me, I don't wish I had somebody else's wife. If I'm loving others the way God loves me, I'm not trying to take something they have because I'm glad they have it because I believe in them. Do you follow me? 
If we can learn to love God and love others, it changes something about who we are. And it doesn't mean the other things aren't important. It just means it gives us a new insight on life. And all of a sudden, it's a lot easier not to covet what somebody else has. Because I know what I have in Jesus. Follow me. Because I love that person and I, I see what God's doing in their life. It's easier for me to not put other gods in front of him because I love him. Because I'm hungry for him. Because I live with this burning hunger to know who he is and to know him more. We've got to learn to live hungry. Instead of living, trying not to do things the wrong way, we need to learn to live hungry for the right things. And it doesn't leave room for all the others. See, Jesus said he came to complete the law, not to do away with it. He didn't come to say, hey, now all those things are okay. He came to say, hey, I've got all of the responsibility for every one of those things that you've done wrong. And I want to commission you to do things the right way. I want to redeem you so you can be who I called you to be. You don't have to be perfect. You just got to be available. You don't have to say, God, I've never made a mistake. I'm the perfect candidate. There's some of you in this room that you think, God, I don't know how you're going to use me. I've been on drugs. I've been in jail. I've had failed marriages. I've cheated on my spouse. I've stole money at work. I've stole this. I've done that. God, I don't know how you're going to use me. And God says, simple, I'm going to redeem you. And then you're going to be able to tell people who are dealing with the same thing you're dealing with that there's a God who can redeem them. And here's the thing, what you think disqualifies you to the world is the very thing I'm going to use to qualify you to change a generation of people. Because he's given you purpose. you would bow your heads and close your eyes with me if you're in here today and you say you know the truth of it is I've pursued my own perspectives and I've pursued my own things and I haven't tried to carry the heart of God the way I should and I, I haven't been hungry for the things of God in my own life because I've been so busy trying to meet my own desires if that's you I want you to raise your hand I want to pray with you if you say this morning I want to pursue the things of God over my own desires. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. Thank you. God, I pray right now for every person who had the courage to lift their hand, God, that we would begin to pursue your heart with a hunger, God, that just doesn't quit. That when we wake up in the morning, we would want to know more of you, God. When we wake up in the morning, we would want to know your word, that we would want to hear your voice. Every decision we need to make during the day, God, we would seek your counsel first because we don't want to operate in our own ability, but we want to operate in yours. God, I pray that you would move in our lives this morning. Make us more like you, Lord. Forgive us of every time we failed you and empower us to be more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. So see, here's your action point this morning. It's pretty simple. Turn the page. If you want to be more hungry, then you need to spend time in the Word of God. 
If you're already turning the page, try to read two. You follow me? Take it a step further. Get more out of what it is that you're wanting for God. Join a group. Groups, hear me. Groups are not like this mystical end-all to any problem you have. Guess what they are? It's a community of people that can help you, and you can grow together, and you can learn together, and you can love together. Get connected. Final. Stop making excuses of why you can't be who God's called you to be. I know we don't usually do three. I won't get to talk to you for a few more weeks, so I'm fitting them all in one. Just kidding. But here's the final thing I want to challenge you with this morning. Let's all stay at our feet. We're going to worship together for just a minute. And if you're in here and you say, you know, I want more of who God is. I want to be hungry for the things of God in my life. I want God to release his anointing over me like I've never experienced before. Then what I want to ask you is to worship this morning with everything you've got. Don't go home and say, I wish I would have done more. You still got one song. You still got one song. No excuse. No, but first. But first I got to go to the bathroom. But first you need to worship Jesus. You follow me? No more but first. Let the dead bury the dead. We are going to lift up the name of Jesus. Let's be who God's called us to be. Let's worship him this morning.